Have y'all seen the infant swim rescue videos? No, where they Maybe don't need rescuing. Thing. Is that the thing? Where they, they just they throw the baby in at a certain age where like inst- instincts kick in. Mm-hmm. That was me. It's creepy. They throw yeah. them in and they just like Pop flop up upside and... down and or right side up. And there they are. Mm-hmm. These little four month, six month babies. I think it's that age. It's young. That's interesting. We never did that really. You people That's what they, my parents did to me. I'm still not a very good swimmer, but mm-hmm. you're traumatized. That's why. Yeah. And my kids no, are all better swimmers than me. Yeah. I can't all right. Float. Time to get started. Welcome to Market Proof Marketing, the podcast from the industry leaders at Do You Convert, where we talk about the current and future state of marketing and online sales for builders and developers across the globe. We're not here to sell you, we're here to help you and to try and elevate the conversation. Is there a topic you'd like us to cover or a question you'd like us to answer? We'll do it. Simply send an email to show at doyouconvert.com. Welcome to episode 226 with Kevin Oakley, Andrew Peak, the ad doctor. And Jesse Suggs. Hey, We're hey. here. Another one. I want to say episode 446. I'm <laughs> <laughs> I will have no hair or gray hair then. So, ugh, yeah, on the one hand, that. when I say episode 226, I think, holy cow, how is this possible? On the other hand, it seems like that's a, not a big number. But if we just no. assume, I don't know, 48 episodes a year, it's like, yeah, it's around that's, that. that's, we, that's four and a half years worth of episodes. You started in 2018. I forget. Long yeah, it take ago. a long time to get through all that content as a listener. Yeah. Well, let's give yeah. a, let's give the people what they want, more content, and we'll yeah. hop into story time. And Jesse? Oh, okay. So where I my old builder, we used to do good for the hood. So I want to start off with something good that maybe can give a little bit of encouragement to either the leaders or the online sales specialists that are listening or even the marketers that are listening for leads that came in in the past. So one of our builder partners did basically like a challenge or a competition between their team, or even if you have just one person, it's, you know, you set a goal and if they meet it, they get a bonus, right? OSCs right now, they want extra money. Uh, Their appointments are down. And so they're willing to do any and everything to connect with customers and in return, get a few extra bucks. And so specifically this builder, one of the competitions that they did was the most outbound calls on the team got a bonus. And nice. so I pulled We a need to define numbers. what that is. It's been a while. Outbound Yeah, calls? I know, right? Yes. Right. What is that? <laughs> well, I pulled some numbers and because their conversion rates were amazing. And so in May, their team of four made 453 outbound calls. And in June, their team of four made 1,294 outbound calls. So- huge increase. And that showed in their numbers. So we're talking like conversion numbers here. So bear with me, but the lead to appointment. So the number of appointments made from the leads that came in were in the mid twenties and it jumped all the way up to 37 and a half percent, which was huge. That's real money. The show rate stayed consistent, you know, in the mid to high nineties, but the appointment to sale. So how many of those appointments wrote a contract went from around 9% to 20.7%. So those doubled. Um, And the one that really was like, this paid off for the company was the overall company contribution went from an average from January through May, all those numbers are from 20% to 41.8%. So more than double. So I just want to give a little bit of encouragement to those people who have slower leads right now, that you have leads that are in there that are convertible, that your company 
and he has paid for it before. So, you know, if you're hearing this, get after it, do the extra calls. I know it's the hard work, but there are dollars to be made and homes to be sold. So yeah, that was like 12 to 15 good. calls per person per day for June or ish, depending on how many days working, which doesn't seem too bad to me if that's, if my job is to connect with people. Right. That's that's what I should be doing anyways, right? So doing that yeah. outbound calls. Like anything, if you're not used to doing it, it's going it to be yeah, hard resistance. and getting started is the hardest part and getting over all the excuses is maybe the second hardest part. I've heard Mike and Jen and you all say that if you haven't followed up with someone in months, you can't really expect them to fawn all over you at, at the first sound of your voice. Yeah. They're like, who are you? Where'd are you? you come from? The interesting part, even we're not talking names here, but of the team of four, the variables of how many outbound calls varied so much. Like the lowest Ooh. team member called 57 people in June out of the 1,297. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the highest made 685. And if you look at their personal conversion numbers, they're amazing. You know, of course, for the person that made Are they calls. set up like yeah. that? Like, is that intentional that there's that big a difference? Like, is one, like, your role is to be mostly outbound, long-term follow-up? Because mm-hmm. that'd no, be interesting. Because They're, they're round-robin, equal oh, distribution. Man. It's just maybe one's more competitive than the other. Well, someone made some uh, nice... I- uh, commissions there. I think you put this out a couple different places, but for this audience, I heard you say on a, on a coaching call last week, something that I thought was brilliant, which was about recognizing the number that's calling you and therefore the importance of using your call rail or similar tool to make that outbound call. Just talk about that for a second, if you would. Yeah. Well, newer teams are actually better at making their outbound calls through their call tracking system, but people who have had it for a while and realize that it is one more step to call out of your call tracking mm-hmm. system, that when your bandwidth was lower, maybe you defaulted to just calling from your cell. But if you make an outbound call from your cell phone, it's different than the number that's in your email signature. It's different than the number that you're leaving in the voicemail. And in return, when they go to make that call back to you, you're not tracking the return call because they're probably just clicking the number that you called them from, which is your cell. So you have, you know, skewed data on inbound calls and in return, you have skewed missed call percentages because you can't tell if that person was on the other line when they missed that call Yeah, because it's outside of the call tracking system. So super dirty data. Yeah. Yeah. And again, to me, the, there's two important parts incrementally, it might not be as important, but if someone does happen to have a number programmed in your, into their phone and someone they write like, Oh, it's Jesse from do you convert calling me again? They're more likely to answer versus almost hundred percent chance that they're not going to answer. Not that that gets us down. We have got strategies of how to deal with that, that we talk about with, with builders, but then also when you do leave that voicemail and you say, give me a call back, it doesn't matter what you say. I mean, how many times do I transcribe the number that someone leaves in a voicemail versus just, I want to hit call back on the missed call in my phone. Yeah. yeah. And that data is then going to be erroneous. I like that word. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's necessary. And I think going kind of full circle back to the challenges or the competitions that people can implement even, uh, or a mandatory thing, even if it's not for fun, if you tell people like, we can't track your outbound calls unless you call from your call tracking system. We have nowhere else to view that. We can't always trust the input data in the CRM. We can't always, you know, take your word for it. We've got to see it. Um, So these will create best practices through fun competitions. Yeah. We always extend story time when we have an online sales expert on the podcast with us. 
Andrew. It's it's tradition now. That's so what we have to do. The other thing that that we've been talking a lot about is every prospect certainly deserves the best experience possible. That's why the online sales role was created. Again, it wasn't created because there were too many leads, but because there were not enough leads and they needed to make sure you won by speed of response and the best possible experience possible. But also customers might need extra nurturing and potentially different people being involved. So one of the things I've been thinking a lot about, and I'd love your thoughts is typically after the handoff process is over, there are some organizations that have the bandwidth to do an extra follow-up, usually via email from the online sales saying, how was your appointment? How'd it go? Or are you being getting the service you desire? But we've, I think most companies react to that as if they don't respond, it must mean that everything is good. And just the concept of thinking about it more like a help desk support ticket for the online salesperson where, you know, adding another point or two of follow-up and or the salesperson ideally putting notes in the system saying this person is moving through the process. But do you see any harm in sending another email or two beyond the standard one check-in? No, you know, a lot of people say everything we've learned has always been once you hand the lead off for an appointment, the baton has been passed. Like the actual handoff process has been completed, which is true. But the follow-up is a courtesy. And so if you do happen to follow up with them again after, say, an email, I think an email is necessary because if they're not interested in the community that you did send them out to, you can switch direction, send them somewhere else. But if they don't respond, you don't know. In any case that somebody comes back and responds with additional questions, that's where you just have to be careful. You have to redirect that back to the on-site yep. so that you don't muddy the water between who they you know, should be communicating with. But I don't think there's any harm in continuing to follow up with them. It's great clarification too, in that you need to figure out, is the customer getting the service that they need? That's the that's the goal so that you can reconnect them if you've sent them down the wrong path. It's not to answer every question they have that the on-site salesperson is, is best equipped or better equipped to answer and to, to let them move on. I think that's makes a ton of sense. But again, I don't I think why why do that? Let me just explain myself, is right now, and I don't think it's a secret, everyone's talking about the fact that. Um, salespeople are having a harder time adapting to the current environment than probably anyone else, online sales included. Mm-hmm. Online sales is having a hard time, but I think they're having the hardest time. And so when just the realist in me says, if they're having a harder time admitting or thinking through the idea that an A prospect could schedule an appointment with you and they throw out two objections, you overcome those objections. You talk about the price point and they're like, okay, I could do that. And you go in for the sale and the prospect says, just not ready yet. I think it's it's intuitive to most people that if I see a hundred leads come in and I schedule 20 appointments, I feel like all the work that, that our company has done in the industry helps people understand that you have 80 more opportunities sitting there for the following month. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that salespeople right now see the appointments scheduled or held the same way. Meaning if I, if I held 10 appointments and my conversion rate plummeted to to 0.5 and I made no sale or half a sale in the salesperson's mind, if they think those other nine people are no longer A's or B's, but they're kind of written off as if they were interested, they would buy because people buy on the first appointment over the last two years, the majority of the time. I think that's where we just have to be realistic and say, we might need to help them through this period 
until they adjust. I don't think it's worth risking that potential sale opportunity by just saying, hands off everyone. It's, it's just that salesperson's lead. Yeah. Oftentimes on sites don't know as much about the CRM. So they don't know how to send targeted emails in mass. And it becomes task fatigue to reach out one after the other to the A leads. And then they go second to the Bs and the Cs. It's like, no, you can blanket email all of them at one time. All of the A's or all of the Bs or all yes. the Cs. Yeah. Yeah. But they don't know how to do that. They might need help from online sales, whether it's doing it for them um, and redirecting them or showing them how. It's just different per company, I think. I love it. Andrew, love it. you got anything? Yeah, I got a few random ones. Love so, it. yo, it's great. This is one I brought up earlier today. Um, did Gary Vee kind of coin the phrase, phrase escapism? I know he didn't invent it, but he kind of put that word out there. Do y'all remember? This is like old school Gary Vee. I feel like pre NFTs, um, where he's kind of like the scam artist, in my opinion. But <laughs> the NFTs aren't, talk- aren't part of the scam? His NFTs are a scam. <laughs> <laughs> Long story short, there's this dude I found. He's he's local here to the area, commercial real estate developer, investor, all this stuff. He's like, oh, I was at uh, Bar Rescue, abrasive personality, big dude. Anyways, escapism, but has real estate and marketing and this type of things into it. So as far instead of just like I finished Stranger Things, the newest season, if you haven't finished that, you need to finish it and watch it. It's amazing. But this at least I'm like, oh, I'm watching this. I'm like on the treadmill, whatever. I'm like, I'm at least learning something, I think, even though it's entertainment. It's a little bit better. So Ben Ben Mala, for any marketers out there that are interested in that type of thing. Another one that came up was just the idea of there should be some type of manifesto. That sounds like a bad word to use, but for like marketing teams, if you have more than one marketing person on your team, where you have two, three, four, five, what should the structure look like? If you're if I'm too busy, if it's like we're too busy, we're too busy, we're too busy, we're too busy. Well, what are you doing? Like there should be like, these are the absolutes that have to happen that mm-hmm. you're responsible for. Anything else that's coming in, say you're, you're overworked, you're understaffed, whatever word you want to use for your team. But here's the things that have to happen. And anything else that comes in, those are important, but these are the must-haves that will absolutely never, ever, ever get dropped. Um, just something I've been thinking about. Like, what are those? I think in each company I could, each builder work with, I think we, I could kind of see like, oh, for them, it's this, this, this. And the most common more, I don't say successful because that implies other builders are less successful. The teams that keep their momentum, they have consistency. They're not going back and forth in their stress levels. They're just maintaining headway consistently. Tend to like just, here's the things that are most important and we just keep pushing through on those no matter what. They're not just like hot and cold projects. The stop doing list is more important now than probably ever. Both because you need to preserve your energy. We talked a lot about the need for stamina during market corrections because a lot of people end up losing just because they they get completely winded at the beginning of it and they don't. And then once they realize it's going to last longer, they kind of self terminate their own position. They're kind of like, ah, I'm out of this industry. I'm out of this company. Yeah. I'm going to make a change. You have to have stamina, but also the speed is important. Again, competition. Market share is about competition. truly beating the other builder or or resale market in your area by being faster, by being more precise, by having quicker follow-up, by answering the phone 100% of the time that it rings, by making sure that your inventory is priced correctly to the market today, not yesterday. All those things are really important and you have to have uh, tremendous focus. And one of the things we've talked about with our builders the last couple of weeks is just keeping tremendous focus on when a home becomes completely finished, 
for real. So the first yeah. question is for real, just because someone exactly. says it's completely finished, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, I think doesn't mean that it is. Mm-hmm. So who in the company, and it can be multiple people, do we trust to walk through that house and say, yes, it is truly finished. But once that person does that, tremendous focus on that particular home, the clock is set and you've got the day, the average days on market, maybe double the average days on market because that's still only 30 days. But all of your content focus, all of your advertising focus needs to be on getting those homes sold. They're right there, right in front of you. It's what the consumer wants. Certainty is there. Certainty. Meaning I can see what I'm getting. I know what I'm moving in. I know what I can lock my rate in. Mm-hmm. Just way more certainty in that purchasing decision. And that's why there's almost no homes available still that are completely finished. Yeah. And if they're close to finished and you have renderings, this is a rant. Get rid of those renderings, which that could just like be a miscommunication. Like maybe, um, yeah, maybe just don't know that we need well, to Well, the renderings are probably a hint that they're not really done. But yes, yeah. But if, <laughs> if it's you... like, we have quicker to quicker to move in homes. That's quicker. It's not the phrase, but quick, quick move in homes. And they have the renderings. It's like, well, I don't believe you as a consumer. Like, this is lies. Like, he, supply chains issues, this, all that. And like, I'm just going to go somewhere else. So it's, yeah, the uh, certainty word, definitely yeah. important there. And that, that'll transition, stories. I guess, into what I'll talk about. There's a couple of things I was debating on, but this one, I, I just keep going back and forth. Because again, we talked about the only promotion or incentive um, that we've seen be effective is still only effective incrementally. No one's going from selling five homes a month to 50 because of an incentive or promotion. No one, and not even how much they're spending. Uh, one of the builders that we work with spent an extra $100,000 on traditional radio, over-the-top ads, Spotify, Pandora, science, billboards, you name it, television, all traditional the, television. All the, all the goodies. An extra $100,000 and had a net of 15 sales for the month. Now, so that plus their digital, plus the cost of their overhead. If you, if you had to estimate, it's somewhere like $7,000 to $10,000 a sale, which still might be better than none. And depending on what your margins are, you can do that. But my point is, I think we're still lying to ourselves a little bit as marketing teams and sales teams. When we think if I just had an extra hundred grand to spend, then all of my inventory that's under construction would be sold by the end of the month. That's just not going to happen. But, but why isn't it happening is the thought that has been obsessed. It's just been parked in my brain nonstop all holiday weekend. On the fourth, I'm pretending to talk to my family. And in the background, I'm like, what is the cause here? What is it really? And I keep going back between certainty and affordability. And it, to, yeah. I think it, it will it will be a little bit different for everyone by market and, and by how much inventory there is and how maybe overpriced your market has become. But I think it really is more about certainty than affordability. And I go back to the fact that there's no standing inventory in large quantities sitting out there that looks good uh, at almost any price. But I, I think we're convinced as an industry that it is affordability related because it's an easier narrative to hang on to. Oh, look what rates did. And then everything paused. Well, why did the rates do what they did? It's also because of the economy and the market we're in, in terms of gas prices and food prices. I mean, I went to breakfast, Jesse, with my, a uh, 12-year-old daughter this morning, 
she had crepes. I had pancakes, side of hash browns and bacon and one coffee. And with tip, it was $67. Wow. In Columbus, Ohio, like at a. That's fancy. Decent. Yeah. I know. <laughs> Sad. Where's Waffle House? I mean, the coffee alone, I, and I normally don't even look at the prices, but just for fun, I was like three fifty for a cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. Oh. So um, you know, why did interest rates do what they do? Because there is a whole lot going on in the world and in the economy that, that cause interest rates to do what they did. But I don't think the consumer can articulate to a salesperson online or on-site or a realtor clearly without having a really good relationship. What, what are the other things? You can't just say, I have this icky feeling in my stomach that the economy might go bad or my job's not as safe as I think it is, or I just had to cancel that next year's summer vacation plans because whatever. They're not going to go there. What they're going to do is say, well, we're going to hold off a little bit and see what happens with interest rates. And again, the salespeople are meeting them there often saying, that makes sense. I understand. I'll keep in touch with you or whatever. But I think the consumer is talking to us about affordability. But I mean, again, there's two parts of affordability. There is the price of the home. And again, by market, we could say that those home prices were uh, elevated beyond what they should be. But the people who can qualify still qualify. And I'm, I'm going to this detail because we spent a lot of time on this podcast and the resources we made talking about the fact that as home prices have accelerated so far, a lot of people in your database no longer can qualify for that home. Yeah. But what I'm telling you is that someone who can qualify at the price point from April or, or March most likely can still qualify at today's rates. They just don't want to. Right. Does that make sense? Like, Certainly yeah. someone looking at a home from the 250s and now that April's from the fours, even at 3% interest rate, they just couldn't afford it anymore. Mm-hmm. But that's someone who could afford a home in the mid fours to fives uh, comfortably and maybe even overbid or beg to be pushed up the wait list even faster, they could still afford at six. They just, because they could get an arm, right? They could get a lower interest rate mm-hmm. for the first couple of years. So I, I really don't think it's about affordability. I think it's about certainty. And then I'll wrap with this. I went to go shoot some drone footage for a builder local to me just as a, as a favor. And I like to keep, keep the skills, you know, you, do, you lose them quickly on that. Yeah. Drone. You got it. You got to keep them. So I go out there and they're really excited about this cul-de-sac that's um, full of custom homes and looking good. They want an updated drone shot for the website and marketing. I go out there and it, I mean, bombs everywhere places trashed. And oh this is my old man moment of, Back in my day, if I would have driven through that neighborhood with my division president, we all would have lost our minds. Of course, we're not selling homes. Look at this place. There's mud thrown against the side of every house. There's material everywhere. There's cars parked. Like, where's the project manager? Where is the law and order here? And these are like higher priced homes. Not saying it's acceptable on lower priced homes, but like- it's not acceptable anywhere if you want to be yeah. perceived as a builder that can provide certainty. So then yeah. uh, even just to get to that neighbor, that, that cul-de-sac, I have to drive by five or six homes, but I can tell people have moved in because there's window treatments and cars in the driveway, but they don't have grass. They don't have driveways. You know, there's shutters mm-hmm. missing. There's all this stuff. And I'm thinking in this current environment, if I was driving through on my way to the model home and I did what consumers are going to do, which is drive around. I already have low uncertainty because of the headlines in the, in the world around me. And then I see that. 
And then, <laughs> then I'm going to come face to face with a sales rep who has to look me in the eye and tell me, you'll be able to move in in 10 months for sure. I mm. like, I don't want to move in like that. Like, what okay. I just thought about when you were saying that is like, this is like sidebar, but when you read a book, you have this image in your head of exactly what it would be like. And then you see the movie and oftentimes yeah. you're disappointed because it doesn't meet your expectations, but buyers are always starting on your website or they're always seeing mm -hmm. some type of perfect model home. They're envisioning this neighborhood in their head and sometimes having a perfect neighborhood still doesn't meet their expectations, but a dirty, nasty neighborhood is like, I'm out of here. This is like the complete opposite of what I yeah, wanted. Yeah. And, and also the marketer in me beyond the customer in me that would have been appalled. The marketer in me was appalled because I drove through an entire phase. And this is again, several different custom builders and production builders and mixed together. I can't tell what's sold, what's available. I, most of them have no signage. I can't even tell what is the building company that's building that home. So if I was interested in it, one, I don't know if it's available. Two, I don't know who to call or, or which of the seven builders to go check on their website. Bizarre. Because there's no signage or anything in the front yard. So I know even I make a lot of fun of um, of printed materials. And that's I'm not telling you to go put brochure boxes back out on in front of every home. But what I am telling you is somewhere there needs to be signage that that communicates who is building this, if it's available or sold, or generally, if you want to pull up more information on your phone right now, here's how to do that easily. It's just unbelievable to me what I saw out there. <laughs> was, that sounds crazy to me. So, so all that crazy. being said, <clears throat> I think affordability and price point is what everyone's trying to, but they're trying to overcome certainty issues by saying, we'll give you an incentive or we'll take some money off. And that's addressing affordability, not certainty. Now, certainly, if you if you go far enough and you know cut the price by twenty five percent, well, now you're going to have people who will say, "All right, I'll take the chance that I won't move in for four months longer than you're telling me." But in most cases, we're not there. And 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 so back to the endurance thing, just settle down, make sure you're doing this blocking and tackling stuff well. Make sure you're keeping an eye and doing competitive analysis. Super impressed with a lot of builders who have come to our calls with, here is the competitive market analysis that I just did on my competition or the existing market. But you have to be patient for the market to settle down enough for us to get a clear direction of what's going to work. Last thing, and then we'll move on to the news. Built One of the builders in Austin that we work with, he's been around for a while and he said, you know, everyone's spending way more money to try to solve this problem with advertising. Kevin, that didn't work in 07 and 08. I don't think it's going to work now. And I want to have that money to use when, the, when, I, when I can see exactly how to use it. And I thought that was a really interesting comment because Austin is arguably the, the suddenly most oversupplied market in the country with inventory. Really challenging. But he, he's understanding he's got to be patient enough because, again, it doesn't, doesn't matter what, what you do right now. You're not going to have outsized results. Oh, and I, I actually, I made the sound effect, so I have to use it. Sorry. Um, so the ambulance. I'm thinking pulled over right now. Uh, yeah, it's not, not the cops. It's the ambulance chasers uh, are, are showing up everywhere. And what, what does that look like? And why do I call them ambulance chasers? A bunch of people on, on LinkedIn and Twitter who are not from the home building industry or even real estate are like, I sold my sugar snap pea company to, to Walmart 
and I'll teach you how to fix all of your company's problems. But because they understand that home building is, uh, has a challenge in front of itself right now, they're trying to just like, it's like insert home builder, uh, lingo here and recreating some canned ad about how they're going to teach you all the secrets you need to know with no understanding of home building or, or real estate generally. And that combined with salespeople for technology companies who don't have a technology that's actually going to solve a problem you have now, just be careful of the ambulance chasers because they are out and about for sure. Mm -hmm. For sure. All right. Now a quick word from our supporting partner, Open Door. Connect your customer with Open Door and they'll get a preliminary offer within minutes. They close on their home and you close a sale. Plus you can track the entire process with ease by using your personal custom referral link. Go to opendoor.com forward slash do you convert to learn more about how you can partner with Open Door. All right, first up for the news. Oh, actually, we got two pre-news items. 2022 Online Sales and Marketing Summit is, by the time you hear this, roughly 70 days away. We're going to be pushing 250 people in totality at this event this year. Another We're taking uh, over record. That like the whole thing. And if you're listening and you're coming to that, check your inbox uh, because we have a special webinar that will only be for ticket holders of the event. So we can kind of talk about what's going on in the market right now. A little pre-show kind of uh, yeah. get, get okay. you get you some answers that you need right now. So you don't have to wait till September to do that. And again, we don't have any tickets available, but you can still join a wait list should something happen and, and additional tickets become available. And then secondly, a reminder of the Market Proof Awards. Uh, your tickets for entries must be purchased by July 15th. You'll still have time after that to submit your entries, uh, but a special call out to everyone who's entered into the Golden Nuggets, uh, PCBC's awards program, or the Nationals. Uh, grab those entries, submit it over here. And because it's a different pool of judges with a different skew and how they're looking at the data. And you've already got everything packaged up. So uh, well. either win another award or give yourself a second chance with all that work you put into putting that together. You can check the link in the show notes or go to marketproofawards.com to learn more about that. From doyouconvert.com though, online sales success in a dynamic market. Jesse, don't be nervous now, but you're about to give your input on Mike Lyon's article. Ooh, the one and here. only. But hey, the, the market's shifting. And Mike's main point is that our job is to serve the market that exists. And what does that mean? And, and what are some your takeaways from that, Jesse? Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any way to argue that our job is to serve the market. It's always been to serve the market. It just seems a little different right now, especially with the new OSCs. You know, they're so used to such high volume that they feel like they're not contributing anymore. They're watching their appointment numbers go down. They're watching, you know, other numbers go down that, yes, kind of hurt the pride, but when they look at their conversion numbers, they're staying consistent. And I think that with, you can read his log here, but he talks about increased prices and increased rates and a lot of uncertainty from customers are surrounding this right now, just like Kevin was talking about earlier. And OSCs have not done their research to be able to confidently speak about this. And you don't have to, you know, have, be able to answer it as a lender, but you have to know enough to create a type of certainty for these customers to trust you to go further in conversation with you. So, you know, he talks a little bit about that. Uh, prior, he goes on priority lists because 
these leads are different. Just like even earlier, Kevin, you were talking about old buyers who, excuse me, old leads that reached out even four months ago. Mm-hmm. They're not necessarily your buyer pool anymore. So how do we create these lists, create smart lists to follow up with them? How do we know what information to send to them? So, you know, just making sure that the people that you are calling make sense. It seems like harder work for less money and it's different work. It's instead of the calls coming in, they're now going out. We don't remember the fundamentals that we learned, whether it was, you know, even four months ago or it was four years ago the professionals in this industry haven't had to do the challenging things like creating specific priority lists, smart lists, and knowing that your leads, they're, they're different. Like these people are holding their cards much closer than they have before. Like it used to be, okay, your next appointment's in four weeks, give it to me. My max budget is this. I'll sell my dog. Like, what do you want from me? And now they're like, I'm buying at the top of the market. I'm not telling you my max budget. You have to earn the trust from me to tell you, you know, what I have. And so we do have to adjust how we're talking to these customers and the content that we're sending them and how yeah. often we're sending it to them. I really like when it says, you know, dig deeper than a home shopper's initial concerns. Discover why the person is looking to move. Do they want to move? Do they need to move? And just the whole concept of rapport building versus getting right into I'm looking for this kind of home. Do you have it? You know, be personable enough and show enough empathy with what they're, I mean, they're, they're considering again, in the current environment, lifting up their whole life and putting it somewhere else, not no small task and something that they're embarking upon. So just imagine if you talk to someone right now and said, I'm thinking about buying a home and their reaction was ecstatic positivity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> versus like, Ooh, you sure? Like, yeah. And yeah. I think it's going to get around to that again. I think the job is going to shift eventually back to what it was before, where this was the exciting time for the customers where they got to pick their lot. They got to pick their finishes. They got to, you know, they're going to, mm-hmm. it's going to be a whole different job, but likewise, right now, this job is different than the job that they had three months ago. And so I agree 100% with everything that Mike put in here. Um, and when we're talking about specifically the interest rate portion and creating certainty for these customers, that being their like pushback, like that's just the fear. Like there's so many other variables that these customers are hesitant from. They, they see the news, they do all of that. So find some of the ways that you can create some type of certainty for them in conversation while building trust. Like, Hey, you know what? I know that interest rates are high. But let me tell you, you don't know if you do decide to rent what your rent will be next year. Mm-hmm. I looked at this um, post on Facebook, you know, that somebody posts a question and the public writes in the comments and then people share it. And there ends up being like thousands and thousands of comments. And it said, um, quick question, how much has your rent gone up this year? And I was like, oh, I'm reading this. <laughs> and it was honestly kind of sad. Like the yes. comments in there yeah. were like, my rent has gone up $600 a month, $400 a month. Really? And It's funny that you get, you know, you get, you know, audited basically to get approved to be in an apartment at a specific rate. And then you're in the apartment, say for four years, and now you're paying a thousand dollars more before if your pay doesn't change, they don't care. They care about your money. And so that is a piece of certainty. If you get far enough in conversation with these customers to learn that they are renting. 
and they plan to continue to rent. So it's like yeah. you said, that rapport building. Yeah. You're more, you're more coaching them through. Like it's like, yeah, push them through, like, let's get past this price and number thing that I think could get a lot of people hung up and like, yeah. let's get to, like Mike said, why are they moving? Do they need to move? Do they, all those sorts of things you're, you're, you're coaching them. Yeah. I mean, they, they reached out to you or you're, yeah. you're calling them back and rents. I mean, historically it's always been a battle of which is more, which is better for you financially to rent or buy. And I think it, John Burns posted this uh, chart, someone from his team that the, you know, that the wane of it's more expensive to purchase has, I believe never been higher. Like even though rents are high in comparison and, and all that means you don't want to highlight that point to your prospective buyers, <laughs> but what, what it means is that rates typically will follow. There's room for, 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 for um, rates for rentals to go higher when housing costs are higher. And so it's likely that's going to continue to be a challenge for many years to come, not just next year. And then you've got situations like one of our own team members here who's relocating just found out that the person who is going to rent them temporary housing uh, never signed the lease agreement and, and mm. was kind of negotiating off to the side with someone who wanted a longer lease. And they were supposed to move in this weekend and we're just told, nope, we gave it to someone else. Yeah, they signed a longer lease. Tough luck. Back to your point yeah. of they don't care about yeah, you. They're just sure. trying to get the most money they can. Mm-hmm. And the certainty is in your, your payment, even though it might be a little more right now, at least, you know, yeah. next year and the year after you're set at that rate, you know, you can form your, your budget around that. Exactly. I guess we'll talk about this one from builderonline.com, <laughs> how to build guy. certainty about your homes and communities through content. And again, I usually don't cha- choose the headlines on these. I just write the articles and send them in, but it, it does talk about that. The, the main point to me of the article was just clarifying the roles uh, uh, of, of different parts of the organization. So advertising's job is to get the attention and to transition that attention towards interest. And then marketing, marketing's job is not to create more humans that will show up in your CRM or at your model. We can't just make humans do something. We don't have cattle prods or or you know, whatever, just to make humans do our bidding. We have to create certainty around the thing we're offering, that it's going to be a fit or a potential fit to the customer and what their wants and needs are. So we take that interest, that temporary interest that advertising creates, and then marketing is all of the other things, including price and website and UI and, and the floor plans and the community names and the logos. I mean, everything, absolutely everything to try to make sure that it's, it's a, it's a fit with the, with the customer and they want to show up, they want to take those next steps. And then sales, you know, is the emotional part of helping them get through this difficult change and, and cementing that certainty through differential demonstration and helping them through the objections or concerns that they have. And once we kind of define those, just talking again about how much um, the role of marketing has shifted from just being involved in awareness and interest, and then having to pass the baton to salespeople for consideration, research, shopping, and transaction, because in 2003, we just had newspapers, bandit signs, and direct mail for the most part. Uh, But now in 2020, marketing with the help of online sales and hybrid sales in some cases can go all the way to transaction, um, but oftentimes will go well beyond research and into the true shopping portion. And then I kind of just wrapped it up and then we can talk about this a little bit more of typically most marketers 
are only given impact on promotion. You know, we, yep. we, we take care of, of every other one of the four P's price, product, place, and people. You have no input on who the sales team is. You have no input on what model home we build where. You have no input on what the price is going to be. And then, though, we're going to put all of the blame on marketing, online sales, or sales when results don't occur. And if your organization is set up where the division president, the CEO, the president, whoever it is, is in charge of price, product, place, and people, then it, it's it's not okay for them to point just at the sales organization or the online sales organization or marketing. It is a collective effort, and and their collective effort in terms of attention, like you you can't convert attention into interest if you're still trying to get forty percent margins on a home right now. You can't convert attention into true interest if you can't put pictures of any of the three hundred homes under construction on your site because they're all still stuck in framing. You know, mm-hmm. so. It is, it is not just this one team. And that's it. Whenever the market shift like this, leaders tend to forget that. And they just go back and they want to knock on the door of the sales manager or the salesperson in the community. And they're like, what's wrong with you? I, I okayed hundred thousand dollars extra advertising. I okayed, you know, an extra 2% to agents and you still can't convert these people. You know, there's shared responsibility here from the people and the C-suite. And the quicker that they realize that and put on their own kind of like, hello, my name is Kevin and I work in marketing too, name badge, and get to work on thinking about all this like a marketer, the quicker you'll adapt to the current market conditions and, and outmaneuver. Yeah, I agree. Earlier talking about you were visiting the cul-de-sac to shoot the drone footage. And I was, I, I remember reading this article that you wrote and I'm like, I, I kind of took with, yes, all leaders are marketers, but I'm like, kind of everybody is also mm-hmm. marketers as well. If you interact or touch something that a potential buyer touches, which is everybody. Yeah, everyone, I, well, it's, it's I think it was like Daniel Pink. The influence. Daniel Pink record. wrote a book on sales. I remember, um, Daniel, let's see, it's a great book, uh, To Sell is Human. And the book kind of argues that everyone is uh, in sales. And that that came out, gosh, when did that, let's see when that came out. Uh, 2012. So yeah, it was right yeah. at the end of kind of crawling our way back, clawing our way back as an industry to where we needed to be. And that was all the rage um, among home builders talking about how everyone was in sales. And I, and I think given where the, how that funnel has changed and the amount of impact that marketing has on the overall customer experience and interaction, I think we should be talking about the fact that everyone is in marketing now. Yep. yep. Exactly. We lost Jesse. She had to go to a uh, health appointment. She's okay. All is well. Um, good. But uh, due to HIPAA, we can't disclose anything else. So there you go. She might or might not have six feet. <laughs> you didn't hear from me. <laughs> not true. Uh, oh, let's man. just do, let's just do one more here, Andrew. Yeah. Um, from dailymail.co.uk. Families could be offered mortgages of 50 years that they can pass on to their children under plans being considered to help people buy bigger homes. Oh, thanks, mom and dad. That's yeah. nice of you to give that debt to me. <laughs> Ministers believe the plan it. will give people the chance of moving into their dream home as they'll be able to take out larger loans. Inheritance tax is only levied on the net value of the property. So if it is mortgaged when the owner dies, the inheritance tax bill would be lower. Hmm. So if you only have $200,000 of equity. So, so they're almost saying it's a benefit. This fact that you don't get equity in your home, 
because then when you pass it on, they don't have to pay as much. Yeah. You might be 12 years old when your parents, you know, signed up for this liability to, to you and then they pass and then here's your, here's your debt. Um, yeah, this is interesting because my first thought is like, won't this just make prices of homes more expensive? And then we'll, it'll eventually catch up to like what, you know, the affordability thing is in my brain, the actual cost of the home doesn't matter. It's what the monthly payment is based off of what the average person could put down for a down payment. It's all like you could qualify for 2,300 a month, 1,500 or 3,500 per month. Won't this eventually just push the numbers up? And it's not that much of a savings anyways, 50 versus 30. At least I don't believe it's hard to find calculators for it. But it that looks is like maybe correct. There we go. That is correct. It's maybe two <laughs> or 300 dollars. Other well, than maybe I'm, you no, could buy a home that is like 800K versus 600K and it's the same monthly cost. So you're getting a larger home that could be multi-generational. Maybe I don't, I don't think that's where they're leading to like, hey, let's have these 5,000, 6,000 square feet multi-gen homes. I don't think that's yeah, what they're doing. I thought it was interesting when I, when I shared this article earlier this or over the holiday weekend, I think the majority of the reactions that I saw um, often from salespeople or people whose job it was to sell homes. So that there's, there's that <laughs> bias, bias, which I understand yeah. is, Oh, that sounds cool. Mm. Uh, because it make, you know, again, it would make yeah. homes more affordable. But like However, here's 50 people that would buy if they could just drop $300 a month, they're, they're qualified again. Yeah. Do you remember the last time? Well, and, and I don't think you do cause you were in high school, middle school, <laughs> the last time that, that as an industry or as a country, we worked really hard at making homes as affordable as possible. It created the, the financial crisis. Um, and so imagine if the market turns just as 10% of the market gets a 50 year mortgage and has no equity and, and no equity to be gained in sight, or and you don't build up equity is, yeah. before that market turns and price is correct. Not a good thing. Um, Not a good thing. Japan so yeah, did a hundred year mortgage. I, at least remember, I don't, I need to find the details on it. I don't know when that was, but I think we did talk about that at one point. I think it failed miserably. I want to find out because a hundred seems like if we're going 50, we might as well just, let's just do a hundred. Well, and then what is the difference like, between that and renting at the end of the day as well? It's, it's not, we, we've had those conversations before as far as like, do people buy with the intent of like, I have no intent on paying our house off. Like I know like, okay, we'll eventually move somewhere else. Why would I make extra payments? Of course, our interest rate for us, we, we were lucky, very fortunate yeah. to refinance at the perfect time. Especially blah, blah, blah. now, you don't want to make extra payments, most likely. Yeah. No, it's like, it's like that money's like, yeah, it's like two point whatever. Like it's, it's quote free. But like, I'm not going to make sure payments to, I might as well put the money away into something else versus putting it stuck in the house. It's not liquid in case rainy day, whatever. But we have no intentions of staying here. I think that's maybe that's my age. Like, yeah. it's just like, this isn't my permanent home, even though it's perfect, it's beautiful, it's neighborhood's great. There'd be no reason to leave except for like a lifestyle change or relocation, that type of deal. Yeah. And I, I, I think you're right. It would make home prices, um, over time. Like if you did it right now, specifically, I think builders would remember, oh, we should have raised prices faster when mortgage rates went down to three and we didn't. I think this time they'd be smarter. And as soon as that got enacted, everything would shift towards payment and they'd bump up pricing and try to keep payment a little bit lower than it is right now. And so that affordability thing wouldn't, I, yeah, I just think it's, and then eventually the other point is, um, you know, markets have to correct at some point, always. It's cyclical. Every market yeah, is cyclical. Isn't that, I mean, and so if you cycle. extend, if you just keep extending and extending the affordability issues, by not solving the root issue, but just giving people, you know, 
worse and worse in terms of what's good for them in quotes, mortgages. Yes. Um, it's not, whenever it ends, it's not going to be good. Did Boris Johnson push this? So this is UK. He was just essentially kicked out. He was evicted out of office today. If you're following all the drama. Yeah. I saw in the headlines, Mike. Well, this is interesting. I wish we had that. Yeah, sort of powers I, in don't, the US. I don't think he's alone <laughs> in that. But the, yeah, the, the article, to be clear, is talking about um, in the United Kingdom. This is being talked about, not not necessarily here, but typically, but we're global. What so starts it's... in Europe goes to California and New York, and then finds its way to, okay. to Washington D.C. So we could test it in those states first. I'm good. Yep. All right. I think that'll do it for this week. That was fun. I always enjoy when online sales comes to to hang out with us. Marketproof Marketing is proudly supported by Opendoor. Visit opendoor.com forward slash do you convert to learn how you can partner with Opendoor to increase certainty, speed, and ease for your home buyers. All opinions expressed by me, Andrew Peake, Jackie Lipinski, and our castmates are solely our own opinions. View hundreds of articles, videos, and more for free at doyouconvert.com. It's also the best way to find out how to connect with us on social networks or in real life. Now get to work and make sure your company is market proof.